On my honor, I will never betray my badge, my integrity, my character, or the public trust. I will always have the courage to hold myself and others accountable for our actions. I will always uphold the Constitution, my community, and the agency I serve. This is the oath our law enforcement officers take when they receive their badge. It's no wonder why we trust them to protect us, why they are supposed to be who we call when we feel threatened or in danger, why some feel they would never betray the citizens they vowed this to. But what happens when the collective majority of a group of law enforcement decide not to take their oath seriously, and instead they decide to perform their own twisted form of jailhouse justice? What happens when it's not a publicized event that creates protest and calls for change? Who pays the price? I'm Jess, and this is the story of the Colorado Springs so-called peace officers. While I was looking into this department, a lot of stories came up. None really positive, mostly filled with titles you would normally think that would grab the nation's attention, but instead have fallen by the wayside. Articles talking about police brutality, massive amounts of settlements. Then I spoke with a friend who will remain anonymous for safety reasons. I remembered she had been arrested for some crazy reason a while back. At the time, we were both just very thankful that there were no charges pressed against her and that she wouldn't be having to go to court, that we really hadn't discussed what happened to her. It was after our conversation that I realized I had to let my listeners know what's happening. Most of you being in Colorado and able to elect change in the upcoming months, and others are far away enough to help spread the word of what's happening in the seemingly small community of Colorado Springs. A lot of you have probably heard of this city that's tucked into the foothills about an hour south of Denver, Colorado. If you're from here, you may have visited the Garden of the Gods, or maybe have driven through on your way to hike Pikes Peak. If you're further away, you may have still heard of this as the location of a recent tragedy. The murder of young Gannon Stock by the hands of his evil stepmother. But the focus of today's story is down a winding road named East Las Vegas Street conveniently located down the street from the golf course and cemetery. It is El Paso County Jail. If you read the reviews, you may find some dark humor and jokes. 10 out of 10 would not recommend to friends and talk about the fast bailout and hot guards, but I can assure you what's going on behind those walls is no joke. It's sick and sad and very scary. Right now you may be thinking to yourself, those are criminals. No one cares about them. Or maybe they got themselves in there. They deserve what they get. And while I hope my interview changes your mind, you may be a non-emotional person and lean more towards the technical way of thinking. And I hope a few numbers may change your mind as a taxpayer. Our story today will start off in 2018 when a photo was released by a local paper. Just looking at the picture of Deputy Sandra Rincon in her tiara, with her beaming smile behind a cake with the number 50, a bag of presents and a plate that reads princess, you wouldn't think to look twice. Just a lady being celebrated at her workplace. A picture is worth a thousand words, but I would have never guessed those words would have been. Deputy Sandra Rickon poses for a photo as jail staff celebrates her 50th use of force at the jail. Deputy Rincon is not the only participant though, not by far. In 2018, Denver civil rights lawyer Daryl Kilmer revealed the atrocities that had been taking place when he filed a lawsuit for his client, 21-year-old cancer survivor, Philippa Grace McCauley. 
His five-foot, 100-pound client won $800,000 after it was determined that she had suffered a torn ACL, a torn PCL, blunt trauma to her face and head, extensive deep bruising to the fronts and backs of her legs, a fractured left knee, and left knee hypertension with bone contusion after being held at the El Paso County Jail in 2014. It was then discovered the deputies and guards had access to a log of when the others used excessive force. This had been turned into a competition of who could get the most incidents of excessive force logged into the program. That photo of Deputy Rincon making more sense now? Okay, good. Now pay close attention. The next part of this has quite a few names, dates, and numbers. This lawsuit called attention to a few other cases, like the $80,000 settlement awarded to Brock John Bethler in July 2010 after he was body slammed in his cell because he wasn't ready to get out of his bed. The deputy in this incident was fired, but no charges were filed against him. Or the $34,000 settlement given to Robert Montea for a time he was in the jail and asked for a replacement carton of milk. He was attacked by a guard named Patrick Smith after this request. These are just a few settlements inside of El Paso County Jail. We aren't even including the $300,000 settlement Paul Vargas received in 2013 after a deputy shot and killed his daughter, Christine Vargas. Her crime? A failure to appear in court. Or another settlement in the same year awarded to a 71-year-old woman after she suffered a heart attack when her home was wrongfully raided by the drug task force. Colorado Springs Sheriff Department is really dropping the ball here. Only this isn't some schoolyard game. These are people's lives. Now that I have your attention with numbers, let me add one more number that was unearthed in my research. Two. Two men that are dead under what I would call mysterious circumstances. Frank Reynolds, a 57-year-old man who succumbed to his injuries at Memorial Hospital less than 10 days after being booked into El Paso County Jail and Damian Romero, 68, who died after going to Memorial and being released back to the jail. He died before he made it back to the facility. Now that we've gone through the data and numbers, let's hear from a woman who at this point I would call very lucky to be here to share her story with us of the trauma she endured at the El Paso County Jail and a couple of her other encounters with police and to hear about her back and forth struggle with trust and fear of law enforcement. Where are you from? Colorado Springs, Colorado. Describe yourself physically. Um, then or now. <laughs> <laughs> then. Then I was about 140, 135, 140. I'm 5'4", and I was actually, like, pretty fit. I am now mom bod. Okay, tell me your story. When first uh, start out, when did this happen? Uh, in 2012, Colorado Springs. What happened exactly? Uh, well, I was celebrating the end of my dental um, school. I had become, um, I was celebrating because I like had my um, extern all set up so I was done with like, the school part of things so I was doing my externship and I was kind of celebrating that you know school part being over and um, 
I was at an Applebee's literally like down the street from where I live because um, I don't I didn't drive at the time so I was able to walk there and back um, but I had a few drinks with some friends there to celebrate and then I called it a night and was walking home and uh, I had a roommate who had recently moved out of my place and down the street on the opposite side of the street and he just so happened to be smoking a cigarette when I was walking more like stumbling by um I wasn't like super drunk but I was enough to be you know walking less than a straight line and he noticed me um as he was smoking a cigarette and was like hey do you need my help and I was like pretty much over him after we kind of like went our separate ways like I'm still friends to this day, but, like, at that time, I was just, like, done with him, so, um, I basically just, you know, shrugged him off and was like, I don't need your help, I'm almost there, I don't live that far, and so, you know, like I said, it's a couple blocks up the street, so, I'm stumbling there, and, um, still walking, and all of a sudden, I could feel, you know, someone behind me, and I, like, looked back, and sure enough, it was him, I said, again, like, I don't need your help, please just leave me alone, you know? And, of course, you know, he was a good friend, and I was just over him, but he was just, like, trying to say, like, you know, I just want to make sure you're in the home safe, you're walking, you know, in the middle of the night, all, you know, drunk, and I was like, I'm fine, and as a single lady, I always walked around with, like, either, like, a hammer or, like, a knife for protection, and I think I had a knife that night, and I was almost to my gate, and I finally decided to call the cops, because you know, a little liquid courage, decided to call and have them kind of help me because he wasn't listening to me. And I wanted to prove a point, so I called the cops and said, hey, you know, there's this guy following, he's harassing me. I asked him to leave me alone several times, and he wouldn't. And so, you know, I pulled out my knife, and I'm like, I'm not waving at him, but I told him I have a knife, like, get back, you know. And, like, I think that was totally rightfully so to be a single lady walking home with protection. I don't think there was anything wrong with that. Um, but the cop must have been in the area because basically he pulled right up and he um, got out of his cruiser and he asked us what was going on and I was already upset. So um, he pretty much decided to talk to the friend first because he was more coherent than I was. So he kind of got his side of things and he asked me if I could kind of sit in the police cruiser with the door open and just find a time to like calm down okay so he asked me if I could sit in the police cruiser and he would leave the door open and just he wanted me to sit down and kind of calm myself down because I was so upset um and so he had talked to the one guy my friend and basically he told him and you know, red flag, he's like, she has a knife, and blah, 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 so next thing you know, I'm over there, so, you know, not really calming down, because I knew, you know, I called them for my protection, and I, you know, he's over there listening to him, and then comes over to me, and pretty much tells me to slide my feet in, and I said, why, and he basically, cop said, you know, well, I'm taking you in, you know, and I said, what? I called you. Like, I called you for my protection. He was following me. I asked him to leave me alone. And he's like, well, ma'am, he goes, you know, you told me you had a knife and you had waving it at him and stuff. And I was like, no, I'm a woman. I need protection. I had, I had protection. Yeah. You know, and I have a knife. And he's like, well, ma'am, I have your bag. I have your belongings, but I need you to scoot your feet in and I'm taking you in. And I was like, you know, already drunk, you know, I was kind of sobering up throughout the situation but basically I was like so upset and like you know like you have the wrong person and so never handcuffed me never read me my rights you know 
basically only got the one side of the story. You know, even though I'm the one who called him, he really didn't care to hear what I had to say because I'm just drunk. So, like, automatically I'm, like, just, you know, counted out of that. You know? I don't know. So... He got me in the police cruiser, we're driving, and I'm just, you know, irate at this point. You know, you haven't handcuffed me, you you know, you didn't even read me my rights, you know, and I'm kicking the back of his seat, and I'm just so mad. And he finally takes me in, and, you know, it just gets worse from there, because as soon as I get there, they have to book you. Um, and obviously, I wasn't very cooperative, because I'm pissed, you know, I'm like, I don't belong here, like, I just... I just had a night celebrating my the end of my, my dental schooling. Like, you know, I'm always off to do good things at this point in my life. And so this is just, like, horrific already. Like, um, they put you in, like, a little orange jumpsuit. I guess it kind of, like, clarifies if, like, orange or blue, like, if you're misdemeanor or, like, felon. So they, put me, they just put me in this orange jumpsuit. But in the midst of all of that, you know, like I said, I wasn't really cooperating because I was pissed. And I wanted to know, like, why am I here? This is wrong. Um, so they just slammed me to the ground. There's really no mercy if you, like, aren't cooperating. So they fucking threw me to the ground. And I remember them having, like, a, a couple knees to, like, the back of my neck and the back of my, like, just my upper back through my shoulders. And just no mercy fucking ripped all my clothes off. You know, and I'm sitting there screaming, like, I'm, I'm on my period, you know, you can't do this, this is not okay, like, you're hurting me, and, you know, they don't give a shit, and, you know, the floor you're laying on is, like, texturized, and, you know, it hurt, <clears throat> so the flooring of the, the place they have me is already, like, you know, like, sandpaper, so they're, like, roughing me up on the sandpaper floor, and, uh, rip this, my fucking clothes off of me, and shove this jumpsuit on me, and, like I said, I told them I was on my period, and they damn well know I was when they took my clothes off, they could see, you know, the stuff that I was using, and, you know, and they never put me in underwear, they never gave me my feminine products that I needed, and it was just... Uh, all bad. I remember yelling in the cell pretty much all night until I fell asleep, just like, you have the wrong person, I don't belong here, like, you know, like, this is wrong, I called you to help me, and now I'm here, like, you know, that this doesn't make sense, so, um, but yeah, that's kind of, kind of the gist of my experience in getting arrested, and really calling them, feeling like they were going to protect me, and then going through that kind of, like, horrific scene of things and events. Did they ever read your never, rights? Never. Never read me my rights. Never handcuffed me. He, like, really just kind of, like, smugly, like, like very slyly, like, put me in the back of this cruiser. Like, just sit here and calm down. Probably already knew the end game plan. You know what I mean? During the conversation, we briefly spoke about a time that she was profiled in Tucson, Arizona. And this was back in 2009, 2010, maybe. And I just so happened to have, like, my headphones in, and I was walking to the bus stop, and, um, you know, I was in nice dress slacks and a black tank top and a nice belt, nice shoes. I was working at a front desk at a hotel, and I just so happened to be walking down, like, not the best part of town in Tucson. It was, like, 29th and Columbus, and as I'm walking, um... All of a sudden, you just get that feeling when someone's up behind you, and I kind of heard tires hit the gravel behind me, so I, you know, kind of looked back to see who, like, 
you know, there's a car coming up behind me, you know, and sure enough, I turn around and it's a cop, and I go to pull my headphones out, and then a police officer, woman, and a man step out of the car, and they have their hands on their gun, and they say, please, you know, and I instantly freeze, I have my hands up, and I said, how can I help you, like, you know, and I'm just, like, freaked out, and um, I was like, officers, like, is there something wrong? And they're like, don't move, you know? And they're just, like, treating me like I'm already some kind of, you know, suspect or whatever. And so I was like, I, was like, I don't know who you're looking for. I was like, can I grab my ID? Went to go grab it. You know, you're scared. You're not thinking all the way. Went to go grab it. Breathe! Keep your hands in the air! And so I put my hands back in the air. I'm, like, so scared. The guy approaches me. The girl is behind him kind of getting his back in case anything goes down. And he starts rummaging through my my bag and he looks for my ID and he finally finds it um he has one hand on his gun the whole time the entire time and he's like rummaging through with one hand in my purse to find my ID dropping shit out of my purse you know and uh he finally finds my ID and he he reads it and and I was just like you know what's going on you know and not once did they apologize or anything but basically I fit the description because I'm Mexican basically black hair, brown eyes, you know, the darker skin, especially because I lived in Arizona year-round, it was definitely dark then, and they're like, you fit the description of a homicide suspect that we're looking for, and I was like, well, officers, obviously, you got my ID, you know, and he's just like, he's like, well, that'll be all, and gave me my ID back, didn't even say, like, thank you for your cooperation, you know, sorry we scared you, we just, this is like procedures or standard, you know, thing like nothing none of that so I was like petrified the entire time and even walking away from all that picking up all my shit and then like leaving I just could not even like put together what just happened you know just walking along going to my daily you know life walking down the street like you think a murder suspect would the, like a homicide suspect would just be walking down the street you know I don't know it was crazy I don't know <laughs> I guess I'm white so I guess I don't really fucking have to worry about shit like that Maybe, but, I mean, you have dark hair, you know, I would never put it past them to profile you as well. They just, there's just no mercy out there when it comes to their world and our world, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. It's fucked up. So yeah, I remember up. being younger and knowing that they were pretty cool, because, you know, being adopted and having the police take me from my parents was really traumatizing, so for a long time I didn't really care for police officers and it was really scary um but in my like middle school elementary middle school years um I lived in a really small mountain town and they would stop pull over and shoot hoops with us you know and see how we're doing and making sure we're staying out of trouble and and by doing so they would just kind of spend their time with us you know um mostly through the summer months because a lot of us didn't have places to go we just all you know gathered at the parks and the skate parks and you know, so they'd do their rounds, and they'd come and shoot hoops with us, and, you know, basically shoot the shit with us, uh, you know, for a little bit, and they, that kind of put a better taste in my mouth for them, you know, and then my adult years, just nothing nice there, so. This woman was being followed home by an ex-roommate and didn't feel comfortable. She asked him multiple times to leave her alone, and he didn't. She called law enforcement thinking they would help her. Instead, they traumatized her. Why? How are these people any better than the criminals they are taking advantage of? Because they have the privilege to hide behind their badge? The badge they put on under false pretenses? 
I'm not saying all cops are bad. I know better than to group everyone into one category. I just can't ignore what's happening in this one sheriff's department. The herd behavior that can be witnessed in the multiple clips of jail surveillance. The complete disregard of humanity. When certain people take an oath and do not hold up said oath, it is okay to hold them accountable. If we don't, in this case, we the taxpayers will be held accountable for every penny of those settlements. But who's accountable for the lives that we've lost? I really don't have much more to say about this. When I was researching this week's episode, I was just heartbroken for the complete lack of respect these officers had for human rights. We need change, and hopefully with some of the laws we are slowly seeing put into place, we may see it. I'm not sure if it's too little too late, but at this point, it's just worth the try. On a separate note, let's go into this week by being kind to ourselves and kind to each other. Respect and love the people around you and be grateful for the little things. Please share and help spread awareness to what's happening. If you haven't already, go follow the Facebook page. This is where I post all the video and news content along with the pictures for the episodes. As always, the sources will be in the description. This week I will end with a quote. All problems are boring until they are your own. Red, from Orange is the New Black. Thank you and have a good week.